You are listening to a podcast by the Trinity Long Room Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute. So, uh, welcome everybody. We're delighted uh, to have everybody join us for this session, which is focused on um, one of our signature international collaborations. My name is Amanda Anderson. I'm the director of the Kogan Institute for the Humanities at Brown University. Um, and I sit on the CHCI Advisory Board. So uh, the focus for today are the CHCI um, Global Humanities Institutes, which uh, were launched in 2017. The program was launched in 2017, and it was meant to promote generative, sustained, international collaboration among centers and institutes and institutional partners from different world regions. In the first phase of this initiative, CHCI selected two pilot projects, now involving 10 centers and institutes from all parts of the world that will convene two institutes in July of this year, one on translations, theoretical issues, practical densities, violence, memory, and the untranslatable, to be held in Santiago, Chile. The other is the crises of democracy through the prism of cultural trauma to be held in Dubrovnik, Croatia. Last year, we invited humanities centers and institutes to propose their own themes, and two teams are now working on institutes to be held in the summer of 2020, the first one on childhood and social suffering in global Africa, which will, be, which will take place in Tanzania, and the second one on migrant workers, global logistics, and unequal citizens in contemporary global context. And that will take place in Taiwan. This year, we're gonna again invite, we have already, you can see it on our website, invited humanity centers and institutes around the world to propose themes for a global humanities institute and plan and host a two-week institute, as these uh, groups have done, to be held in the summer of 2021. And we expect to fund one institute in this third round. And this is sort of the end of that grant cycle, and we're very much hoping to continue the program. So we're hoping that a number of you here might be here because you're interested in proposing such an institute. But we also want to use this opportunity to show to the membership of CHCI the kind of international collaborations that we're trying to promote, and also to recognize the extraordinary, dynamic, innovative work that members have done to launch these extraordinary um, institutes. So for those of you who are, who are interested beyond this session, the online call for expressions of interest and the application form can be found on the CHCI website, and the deadline for the call is September 15, 2019, and you'll see detailed what you would need to submit, and in the first phase, it's an expression of interest. Now, the CHCI Global Humanities Institutes are, are undertaken by teams of scholars representing at least three humanities centers or institutes, preferably located in three different world regions. The, the sort of the telos is um, an in-person two-week meeting, flexible in format, 
that includes members of the convening research team and approximately 15 additional participants affiliated with CHCI member centers. And it is very important from our point of view that participants in the institute include scholars across career stages. And that means graduate students, early career scholars, as well as more advanced scholars. The expectation is that the core members of each research team will convene at least once during the planning period. period. So there's a sort of a pre-meeting of the partners. Typically that takes place in a location other than where the institute itself will be held. So it will be held at one of the other uh, areas represented by the collaboration. And it is also expected that after the two-week meeting, there is some sort of um, continued exchange and networking, and ideally some form of outcome in, in the form of collaborative publication or other later meetings and projects. So the purpose of today's meeting is to provide the, the membership with some on-the-ground reports from folks who are actively participating in the four current global humanities institutes. And the way that we're gonna organize the panels, we're gonna have each of the representatives speak for not, to give a brief presentation. And our hope is that we will have a, a, an extended period of Q&A afterward. Which, and we invite you to ask questions about anything from logistics, practical matters, to larger conceptual questions and challenges. Because one of the most sort of interesting things about these collaborations is the, what can become a really generative encounter between paradigms uh, among different world regions as to what exactly the humanities means. So the four presenters today are uh, as follows. And each, of, I just want to say, I'm going to name them and their institutional location. Um, each of the presenters will let you know the, the partners that they're working with. So the first presenter is Angie Butler from Trinity College Long Room Hub, who will represent the Crises of Democracy uh, Global Humanities Institute, which will be taking place in Dubrovnik this summer. Pramesh Lalu uh, from the Center of Humanities Research at the University of Western Cape will represent the challenges of translation, GHI, which will be taking place in Santiago. Joyce Liu from the International Institute for Cultural Studies of the University System of Taiwan will represent the migrant workers, GHI. And Catherine Ryan from the Hall Center for the Humanities at the University of Kansas will present the chronic conditions of social suffering in Africa, GHI. So I'm just, without further ado, I will, we will have the four presentations in order and then we will open to um, a broad Q&A and larger discussion with all of you. So please uh, join me in welcoming our presenters. Research Project Officer for the Global Humanities Institute on Crises of Democracy through the Prism of Cultural Trauma. It was one of the two selected for Mellon Foundation funding in 2018. 
The project leader is Professor Jane Olmeyer, representing Trinity College Dublin. The other partners are the University of Zagreb, the University of Sao Paulo, Columbia University, and Jawaharlal Nehru University. Our GHI is structured in three phases. A planning meeting which happened in May 2018, an Early Career Researcher Institute which happens next month, and a follow-up meeting which will take place at the end of the year. For the second and most significant phase of the GHI, faculty and early career researchers from around the world will come together to examine crises of democracy from a comparative global perspective. This will take the form of a nine-day summer institute in Dubrovnik and will comprise of 17 early career researchers and faculty. Early career researchers come from 11 different universities and institutes and will be traveling from Asia, North and South America, Africa and Europe. Concept. For a successful GHI, the concept needs to be engaging and immediately relevant to a wide range of researchers and research networks. It also needs to capture the public imagination to a degree so that the impact of the GHI can be felt beyond the academy and research networks. The idea for the Crisis of Democracy, GHI, developed from an EU-funded program developed and led by Professor Jennifer Edmund. The theme of our GHI, Crisis of Democracy, is incredibly relevant and timely. Countries that presently find their political system in crisis can, in most cases, find causes by looking back to specific times, events, and experiences in the collective lives of the culture. By turning to the past, they can determine conditions and patterns of responses and influences that have contributed to current crisis. The subjects and themes we will address in the GHI promise to be both challenging and rewarding. At times it will be more important to identify the correct questions to ask rather than settle on definitive answers. One such question, question we will return to will be what is it in today's world that is making populist and authoritarian approaches to government more attractive than democratic ones? The team. You are only as strong as your weakest partner. In the preparation and execution of the GHI, you are relying on all partner institutes to contribute a great deal of time, energy and knowledge to the project. It takes time to foster these relationships. The partnerships can be bolstered through various communication strategies, but there is also an organic element to, that needs to be there too. Be confident in your partner institute choice and make sure that you work well with them. It is important that your partnerships comprise of diverse disciplines, voices and backgrounds, as well as consisting of solid professional relationships. For the first phase of our GHI, the five partner institutes met in Dublin in 2018. This was largely a planning meeting during which we laid the groundwork for the Summer Institute. If you are organizing a planning meeting, try to encourage everyone to attend in person uh, rather than online and build in relevant site visits so you have 
uh, time to speak to each other, but also that you can visit um, relevant, relevant places for your GPHI. I also suggest having a watertight agenda that you follow throughout the meeting and while working through the agenda that you get people to take ownership while they're there of tasks. This is so much easier to coordinate in person than through email. So if you do this at the planning meeting and everyone puts their name beside something, that's half the stress, that's more than half the stress uh, taken away. The second phase of our GHI and the biggest part of our project is a summer institute which will take place in July next month. The GHI will consider the role of institutions, inequality, exclusion and the use of violence in both oppression and resistance. The GHI participants represent over 15 different disciplines. Administrative support. The third phase of the G, sorry, sorry. Um, if you factor in the cost of a high-level administrator, someone who is the main point of contact for all the partner institutes, you should. Sustaining contact across potentially five or six different time zones for 18 months or more requires a great deal of coordination and thought. This will help help to anchor your GHI and allow it to run more smoothly. Everyone knows who to contact. There's a centre um, there. And finally, I just want to talk about the afterlife. The third phase of our GHI will be a meeting and workshop in Brazil organised by the University of Sao Paulo. At the Rio meeting, delegates from the partner institutes uh, will discuss how the knowledge and skills developed over the course of the project can be embedded in their institutions as well as disseminated in the wider society with plans to create an open online syllabus, publications and a documentary film. Through the GHI we wish to build a network of researchers in the area of crisis of democracy and cultural trauma who will continue to support and work with one another after the GHI has ended. We have held events on the team at our own institutes and also held a number of joint um, events with the other institutes. Another example of this growing network is our new postdoctoral fellow, Ellie Payne, who is working on the Crisis of Democracy theme. Her project will contribute to the understanding of how media in its various forms shape the modern world. We are committed to developing this project and network and pursuing further funding for the Crisis of Democracy project. We'll be holding an informal lunch over in the hub in the idea space, which you might have been in yesterday on the third floor, um, to discuss opportunities and avenues of funding. If you are interested in this project and perhaps partnering with us, we'd be delighted if you would join us after this meeting. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Amanda. Uh, I'm representing uh, the translation network, and in part I'm ventriloquizing because two of the lead uh, PIs on this project, uh, Pablo Erzon and uh, um, Andres Claro, are not available, are not with us. They uh, could not make it to this meeting. So I'm going to try and give you a broad sense of the process uh, that led to the 
making of this very, very important network. Uh, we are about to launch our uh, project in July. In the next few weeks, we'll meet in Santiago for the uh, GHI uh, uh, project. Um, and in some sense, it's the process of getting us to Chile in July that I want to, I want to stress, because the lead, uh, leader uh, uh, PIs on this project, uh, Pablo and uh, Andres, asked us to think about what it means to stretch the concept of translation, to think a little beyond the limits of translation studies, to see how we might use the opportunity provided by the GHI to invent other ways of thinking about the importance of translation in our world in the contemporary moment that we're living through. And so it was a wonderful six months of sparring, of exchanging ideas, of disagreeing, there was much disagreement about how we might think about translation uh, that is responsive, that is careful about articulating other ways of thinking the present, uh, the global present. And so in many ways, we set about with a project on tracking an itinerary of translation studies and where we've come from, how we've engaged this very, very crucial concept and tried to understand why it was such an important matter for humanities scholarship globally. More importantly, we were concerned with what it might mean to recharge the concept of translation, what it might mean to open it up to other ways and other practices uh, specifically in the arts, uh, to think through this question. So ultimately, translation may be at the heart of understanding cultural, ethical, and political challenges accompanying migrations brought about by warfare and past trauma. And given the fact that two of the institutions that are part of this GHI are from South Africa and Chile, you can understand why the question of trauma is such an important part of our reconceptualization that we want to set to work on. Um, so, you know, in some sense, we were asked to call, we were asked to develop a concept of translation with a poetic and speculative uh, as implications. So we wanted to think through both, you know, the, uh, the itinerary of thought, where translation studies has come from. We wanted to think about translation in relation to the poetic, but more importantly, we also wanted to do, engage in some speculative implications for translation studies that would reach beyond the arts of translation studies to rethink epistemologies, histories, politics, and ethics. And so there's a very fundamental sense, a way in which translation has become, in this network, an opportunity to think about the humanities and its futures. So we want to place those in a very particular relation. So the four centers that are involved in this project seek to forge a concept of translation uh, that take on both the challenges of translation and the promise of translation. And so rather than simply see this as a historicization of the question of translation studies, we also want to engage in the question of what its promise might be. Uh, two centers in particular, the Humanities Commons at the University of Irvine and Oxford Comparative Criticism and Translation at the Oxford Research Center in Humanities have very specific uh, expertise in the area of translation. Those have become very important for us to work through as we think about the long history of translation studies. But more importantly, uh, two, two of the other centers, the Center for of Studies in Philosophy, Humanities, Arts, 
uh, in Chile, in Santiago, a host institution and the Center for Uni uh, Humanities Research at the University of the Western Cape, have brought to the, to the uh, table questions of the politics and poetics of translation. And so there are ways in which the global south has been very important in asking, in, in posing new questions uh, to translation studies. So ultimately, this project in Chile will convene in July with six early career scholars from five continents, several scholars from uh, the universities, uh, five in total from each of the universities, uh, a group of artists that have been invited to participate in the, in the GHI, and several keynote speakers such as Petra Salo, Yala Kisukiri, and Gugi Wationgo, and several others who will address this institute. What we found in our deliberations over the past six months, and as we planned for this Translation Studies Global Institute, is the synergy with the crisis of democracy. And so there were moments when we were thinking that we ought to be having an institute that's in conversation with the others that have been funded through the, that have been generously funded through the CHCI. Because in some ways, to rethink translation in our time is to rethink it in relation to the questions around the crisis of democracy. And so we're hoping that when we meet in Chile, that we'll plot a future that would allow us to convene with the colleagues who have uh, convened the Crisis of Democracy project and to think again about how we might recharge translation as a moment, uh, as, a, as a project of the humanities in our times. I'll stop there. university center. So in Taiwan, we have already built up a consortium of four universities. And we started our five-year project on conflict, justice, and decolonization, critical studies of inter-Asian societies. Uh, the moment we picked up this theme of migration, logistics, and unequal citizens in contemporary global context is because we actually have witnessed a rapidly increasing uh, number of international migration. And the impact on local society is great. It changed the composition, it changed uh, the, uh, uh, the mechanism within the society and increased the drastic uh, poverty gap or segregation in different sense, different ways. And the phenomenon is great and huge in Asia. We can see from the figures already. But uh, when we want to talk about it, we don't only want to talk about this migrant workers that's within our societies, maybe in the corner of an urban area, but they, don't, they are invisible. And they might suffer from modern slavery because of the lack of citizen status. But when we look into the issue, we notice that not only from migration, economic flow, or the, the, the flow that drives people from place to place, there are also conflicts that force people to move. 
So, and they, those are refugees. They either uh, live in the, uh, the borderline or in urban space. So those are the questions that we felt we need to respond to. <coughs> so uh, we build up, there's uh, colleagues that's across different uh, countries. Uh, the reason we, we build up this uh, institute uh, collaborations is because our center has already uh, been doing the summer schools and summer uh, winter camps for several years. We pick up the, the thing, for example, how to rethink the logic of Cold War, how to decolonize the epistemic uh, uh, <coughs> frame that's being still living in our society, especially in Southeast Asia and Northeast Asia. Uh, so we think this uh, decolonization has not really been started. So we invited colleagues from Malaysia, Thailand, Vietnam, uh, Singapore, uh, Indonesia, and then we invited some uh, colleagues from this uh, countries. But we also uh, invited colleagues from um, Western Sydney and also Eastern Europe, so that we can uh, build up some sort of uh, comparative thing but we want to focus on the questions of there's uh, conditions of contemporary living conditions of uh, migration and their precarious life. We also want to think this structural violence behind it. It is not only be, uh, because of the state, but also because of uh, some maybe invisible forces. So we want to think of this uh, logistics or logistical continuance from the Cold War or pre-Cold War uh, colonial period and then down to the nation state and then contemporary neoliberal age. So geo-economic zoning politics and also local infrastructures, perhaps corruption, perhaps urban renewal and the developmental plan that changed uh, local um, uh, ecology. But we also want to think theoretical issues concerning the question of so-called citizenship and also the increasing cases of contemporary unequal citizens. So uh, we have these uh, partners and we have uh, also other alliances. And through this uh, collaboration, we uh, we notice that these things are all the questions that each of these researchers have committed in their own research track. And they are concerned with their local societies. They are also eager to understand what's happening in other regions and what's the factors impacting, in, uh, affecting this situation and how they respond, how they link uh, uh, their research to local NGOs or artistic group or their uh, law reform activism and so on. So uh, when we build up this platform, we also uh, started, this is actually a first year planning, so we planned uh, the first uh, pre-institute planning meeting and people get together and we discuss in groups and we uh, want to really understand uh, how other people view these issues. And the local researchers also introduce us to their local NGOs. We learn a lot. And also, uh, and also local uh, 
conditions, the, 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 the uh, legal issues, and so on. So the first one was in Guzhiming uh, City. The second one will be in Kuala Lumpur. And the researchers there also will introduce us to their artistic uh, intervention and also their urban refugee uh, uh, neighborhood and also migrant neighborhood. Uh, neighborhood. And well, we will be having our post-institute meeting in Bangkok, uh, Thailand, uh, migration, uh, Hidden uh, Migration Center. And we also came up with uh, this list we don't need to read through, but those are the uh, problematics or topics or issues that uh, our researchers came up with so that uh, this can serve as our, our call for participants and project. So uh, I realized that through this uh, preparation and dialogues and uh, also exchange of ideas, uh, we are doing something that we want to, we are, uh, have to create dialogues between different researchers. So some of them have started their own uh, small project and also their collaboration uh, aiming at uh, co-authoring maybe some research. And also, uh, we are building up dialogue between universities and societies because sometimes you know, those NGOs or artistic groups, they are at the frontier. They are facing with a, a question. So we invite, we as uh, humanities, uh, comparative literature person, or a political philosophy uh, scholar, we also invite scholars who are well trained in uh, empirical and uh, statistic figures. And also we invite scholars from uh, anthropology so they know how to really get into this uh, field. And we also invite people in laws because they work on citizenship right, but they don't know how to deal with uh, migrant or rep refugees, uh, fundamental human rights. So we want them also to face this uh, dilemma that's been drastically changing in our society. So, uh, and also, the reason that can put them together is to help one, each other, every institute, every researcher to complete what they personally want to, wanted to complete. So we, we said that uh, besides this uh, uh, GHI 10-day uh, uh, event, we will also arrange field trip to local uh, sites, but we of course our publication online database so that people can learn from one another across uh, a region. And we also are eager to build up a long-term consortium for this uh, transnational joint research venture in the future. So I think this is a very enriching uh, uh, experiment for us so that we work with based in Asia, Southeast Asia, Northeast Asia, the sending country, the receiving country, but those are uh, actually uh, uh, inscribed with their own colonial history, their own state violence and so on. But we also want to open up uh, beyond Asia because we are thinking of inviting some speakers from uh, uh, Mediterranean and, and uh, Italy and other uh, Middle East and so on so that uh, the proportion can be a little bit uh, uh, open up and also can be uh, provide some sort of a global perspective. 
uh, that will be it. Thank <laughs> uh, you.
These representations are central to the stories that patients and doctors tell, but may also equip other sensorial experiences that are central to being sick. So the aim of this lab is to interrogate the forms of understandings that brought objects and representations of these objects forward. They allow us to ask questions like, what do people do with visual representations of young people's bodies and the ways in which they suffer? What work is expected of them in clinical presentations, in publications, in political and public health campaigns, in personal family albums? What embodied and emotional responses do they demand or deny? What biological, emotional, and social consequences do they produce? How might they facilitate other forms of thought and feeling? What other sensorial modes do these representations hide? So what would this activity look like? And especially if we want to move beyond an institute of just having a very, very, very long conference and do something hands-on that can bring people together and access different ways of knowing and doing research, um, we ideally would like to bring participants together into small groups to present social biographies oops, of an object or a representation that speaks to their research on children and youth. This could be a work of art, it could be an illustration, it could be a public health campaign poster, or a piece of medical equipment. Now, as we question these histories and their politics, we will ask about our own relationships to these objects, the practices and processes that have allowed us to acquire them, the ethics underscoring that acquisition, the shifting meanings they, have, they may have produced over the course of our ownership of them, and the effective and embodied experiences that they engender, the intellectual trajectories they have produced among our scholars. We then could photograph and annotate these objects and put them on a digital platform. This could serve as a living archive for teaching, research initiatives, could be a digital hub for future collaboration. And I won't go into the details of them. We have another lab that centers on storytelling and a third that thinks about the question of engagement. <laughs> so I have some fears and challenges that come with this. Um, for example, distilling a social biography of an object. These can and they do build books. How can we do this in a deep way when we only have a single day or a couple of days to work on this? <laughs> Is it feasible to ask objects to bring an object with them to the workshop? Do we have participants do the research or answer some prompts ahead of time? Does the site, the digital site, need to outlast the project? And if so, what would that look like? How do we ensure that researchers have the appropriate permissions or approvals to photograph and publicly display these representations? How do we create the digital platform? There's a great website called Omeka to my digital humanities colleagues, but who hosts it? Who maintains it? How long will it be hosted? Do the participants need specific training before they engage with it? Who are the audiences for this site? What languages must these annotations cover? Are the narratives presented accessible to the public or publics? Do we give sufficient context? So what seems like these tiny ideas unpack a huge number of questions that all need to be addressed, and these are things that can be addressed especially well in person and planning meetings. Um, but the impact, and the impact is really crucial here. 
One of the things that we hope to bring about in this lab and in the different labs and different programs that we're going to integrate into the Institute are on the different emphases that humanities scholars place on visual representations, in this case, in their work. For some scholars, object-based analysis is central to their research questions, while for others, they'll be more peripheral. They will give scholars a chance to learn about the different ways one another asks questions, attend to different symbolic and material details, use particular and often disciplinary specific terminologies, think about their own positionality, and locate these objects in different global and local contexts. In order to engage in interdisciplinary and collaborative projects and foment the kind of network and kind of research partnerships that we hope to produce in this institute, these kinds of activities are vital to introducing scholars to the different ways of knowing that we individually and collectively bring to the table. Um, so I'm using this as, a, as an example to show you the kind of thought that goes into the work up front before you even get funded, before you get off the ground, and before you have even a chance to chat with your colleagues in person. Um, we've shared online with all of you summaries of our, um, our crises of our institutes. I'd be happy to share and talk more about the different elements of the proposal that we have focused on more generally, and um, I'm happy to open this conversation. presenters for an extraordinary um, set of reports and um, I think that gives us um, a lot to talk about. We do have a significant time to have a discussion to take questions from the audience. Um, so I'm just going to, for now I'm just going to um, open, open the floor to questions and you can address it to the, to the entire group or to a specific speaker. Yes, right here in the center and then you right behind. Hello, I'm Colin Chen from the International Center for Culture Study. I have a few questions for the GHI in Croatia and Chile, because we are holding one next year. I'm also the project officer of GHI 2020 in Taiwan. And the first question that from your precise, I saw that there will be maybe 17 to 20 participants from the COVO participants. And then how many would be the invited speakers? I mean, those that were uh, addressing the keynotes and uh, the, the seminars. So maybe how, what is the amount of the participant in the GHI? And the second question is how you distribute your funding, especially the cost of travel, accommodation, and who would get funded, something like that. And then the third question would be that how did you ask your participants to prepare for the GHI? Do you give the uh, reading materials and would you put it online or visualize online? How, how do you do that when you uh, ask your participant to prepare for GHI? Yeah. Thank you. Um, I'll try and answer some of the <laughs> So we have 17 early career researchers um, joining us. 
um, how I chose um, those researchers. We have two um, from each institute, coming from each institute, so two from Trinity, two from um, Zagreb, two from Sao Paulo, uh, two from JNU, and two from Columbia. Then we um, put out the call to the wider CHCI network, um, and people could apply if they were in a CHCI affiliated um, institute or university. Um, so we don't have keynotes at RGHI. We have faculty members who are travelling from each of the partner institutes who have been involved from the start. They're part of the team and it's a much more kind of democratic process rather than having keynotes. We call them sessions rather than lectures. It's going to be exchanged because with something like um, democracy and cultural trauma, you can't really have someone uh, lecturing from that kind of high position and people just taking that on board because everyone has something to offer and that's why we, we chose um, the participants. Um, the funding, I think that's probably quite a complicated, nitty-gritty question. Um, I can say that um, from our end at Trinity, we're organising all of the um, flights, I suppose. I, I hope this isn't boring. And then um, in the kind of three places, so the planning meeting which happened in Dublin, again here, um, and then the Croatia um, aspect, they are dealing with the accommodation and um, all the ground transport and any kind of uh, food costs or any uh, GHI costs extra to that flight over and uh, back from uh, Croatia. And the same with our follow-up meeting in, in Rio. So that's um, the budget aspect, but I'm happy to talk to you further if you want to know. And the final question was, I can't recall. <laughs> oh, that's a, a really great one. So what we're doing is um, we're building in time for each participant to deliver um, a paper, but what we're asking them is to just use five minutes, similar to this to give a brief overview and the papers will be circulated in advance so we can all read them. A member of the faculty will be uh, primed and matched with a particular participant. They can be a very um, a careful respondent to that. It's matched on maybe um, discipline specific um, things. Um, they are also preparing a visual capture of their work, whatever that may be. Um, a research poster um, with very little writing on it. It's something um, similar to uh, posters outside, actually, that we have here. It could be a performance. It could be um, a direct uh, kind of presentation to camera. Uh, something along those lines. But they're also um, covering reading that, they'll, that it will prepare them for all of the sessions so everyone's on the same page, if you will. So I'll just add very briefly, um, we also had a very comprehensive process, a pre-planning meeting, pre meeting in May 2018, uh, in which we worked out a series of nine working sessions for the GHI, and it was an intense set of discussions about how we would tackle such a large question uh, um, like translation. And so we spent a considerable time thinking about, you know, how we tackle questions of methodology, what the topics for the different sessions might be, and so on and so forth. So we worked out a fairly comprehensive plan for the Global Humanities Institutes for the working sessions. 
and then at that meeting also decided on a range of possible uh, keynote speakers who might open up some of the questions that we were interested in, in, in tackling. And then spent a year after that in what we call the Lines of Research program, in which we tried to identify, you know, or to flesh out some of the detail of the, the working sessions. So what we've come up with is a fairly expansive document of a range of possible uh, areas that we would want to cover, that we'd like to cover, but that we know that you know, it's not going to be possible to do it in the space of one global institute. So we've selected from that large uh, compilation a number of key issues that we'd want to take forward in, into future discussions. Um, but I'm very happy to, to share with you uh, outside of this discussion, the process of, you know, all the larger documents that we've come up with uh, on the global, uh, on the challenges of translation. Um, I'm assuming you're at too early a stage to answer that. Okay, yes. all right. Uh, so right behind that first questioner, yes, for another. And just signal me if you have a question. Hi, I'm Sudra Asagolam, I'm a co-PI along with Joyce for the migration. And so we are in the midst of thinking and brainstorming. So my question is directed in that. Uh, spirit, I'm wondering about um, how do you uh, program into uh, some kind of uh, impact uh, for for the participants themselves, either toward um, building in uh, something else besides a monograph, uh, academic monograph, um, something that would have perhaps impact on public culture or policy interventions or things like that, um, and in how um, how competitive was it to uh, gather your participants? How many how many applicants did you have, and how many did you end up accepting? And how many days? Sorry. No, no. I think the question is addressing to you. We are consulting your experience. <laughs> Great question. <laughs> um, I think I might. Um, go for the, the um, second question, but just to talk about impact. Um, our program is not just solely kind of academic research work. We will also be learning um, skills. There's a common thread throughout our GHI called common, uh, common skills or um, practical skills. We have a journalist coming from uh, the Dart Center in Colombia, Bruce Shapiro, who will be talking about ethics of care and self-care for um, interviewing um, survivors of cultural trauma, various um, parts of trauma, and also how to interview. That's something that a lot of people aren't taught, and it should be. Um, we'll also be learning about oral histories and oral history projects and how to conduct them. So that has an impact in itself beyond the, this um, very straight-based, I think, academic program. Yeah, do you want to say something about Just that? Just very briefly on that, uh, on how we've approached some of this. I mean, both the centers in San Diego and uh, in Cape Town at the University of the Western Cape are very keen on learning to learn through the arts and to think about how artists approach questions of translation and communication. So there's several intermittent moments in this program that we've developed where we've invited artists in San Diego to engage us on questions of translation. Um, of course, we are focused in both instances in the Global South um, on the archive of, of atrocity. And so a very large part of this discussion is about 
that disappeared uh, you know, questions of building archives of traumatic events, um, both in Chile and South Africa, and thinking a little bit about how one might ethically re-engage the question of uh, translation so that we might open up a global discussion on what translation does for the humanities in this moment. So our work has been a lot more conceptual at that level in plotting out you know, fairly you know, difficult terrain and how we might proceed. And, and so the artists have become very crucial in the process of thinking about the program that we develop. Okay. Oh, the numbers. Um, so, yes, it was competitive. And what we found is we got in a lot of applications through the CHCI call. And with the individual institutions call, um, the institutions um, directed that. But we all agreed on the factors that would be taken into account and a very strict evaluation that we could all stand by. We wanted to be as fair as possible. With the open call, um, we got a, um, quite a few applications, but quite a few were not um, were not eligible for different reasons. So you needed to be at the advanced stage of your PhD or beyond that, but not so advanced that you're not considered early career researchers. So we had a cutoff of when your PhD was awarded. We also gave um, special encouragement to. Um, participants from the developing countries or um, you know that would require uh, more assistance to attend because everything is covered in our GHI you don't you don't need to um, buy anything the flights the, the boarding and everything and we wanted a diverse set of voices I think it's really important with our um, team that we have that diverse set of voices so it was competitive but really exciting to see all of the applications coming in and the evaluation process was long because we wanted to be as fair as possible with very um, stringent kind of rules of how we were um, selecting these people. Um, before we move to the next two questioners I have on the queue, I, I just wanted to um, interject a question, uh, which is um, particularly addressed to, to Katie and Joyce, um, who are at an earlier stage. But I, I wanted to, but I invite the others to respond as well. Um, to ask how you, and partly because Katie brought this up, how you intend to um, address the multilingual challenge. Um, and and I, I just want to raise this because I know it's a question that a lot of us are grappling with, that CHCI has been grappling with, um, and I think in particular the proposal um, from the University of Kansas was quite resourceful in thinking about this in the proposal stage. So I would just love for you to share um, your thoughts about this, the, uh, the two of you, and then if, if, um, if Angie and Pramesh want to add in, that would be great. Can I just add that it is related to your question? Sure. But I'm on, I, I did my question. Okay, but let me, just, let me just say that this is Elizabeth Georges, um, and she is central to one of our other um, international collaboration, signature international collaboration, which is the African Humanities Project, and she just hosted a brilliant workshop at the University of Addis in January. And so please, you know, have, elaborate. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Two, uh, yeah, one from Pramesh, uh, related to Amanda, what Amanda commented upon. Uh, translations and, and in relation to trauma uh, would be very important uh, to do, you know, the 1980s, particularly in Africa, uh, Angola, Mozambique, and their, you know, uh, history of trauma written in Portuguese 
where I come from in Ethiopia, the history of trauma, where 40-50,000 people were murdered in a, gen in a genocide context, uh, written on an Amharic. So nobody knows it in the world. I mean, it's locally uh, articulated, but not really. So, it, I mean, if we're talking about trans translation in relation to trauma, we have to really look at specific histories and what local uh, articulations, you know, local languages have provided in that. Just wanted to give a comment. It's, very, it's a very interesting project. On Katie's, um, when I saw the title yesterday, I was very disturbed. Uh, but when you, when you talk today, we said it's a very interesting project. Why is Africa always, you said Africa, suffering, all this stereotypical word for Africa. So when I saw it, it, it just, you know, it's very problematic. Uh, so but when you explain today, it's, it's a very interesting project. However, still Africa is historic, historically contextualized you know, specific histories, specific cultures, specific sufferings. Okay, my suffering is not the same as Tanzania, as close as Tanzania is. Ethiopian suffering is not, is not the same as other parts of the continent. So Africa is not a country. Africa is a continent with 52 countries, 52 specific histories, specific, specific political contexts. So we really have to problematize that, you know. So while the problem is where your presentation is very interesting, but there is specific context, so we, we have to accommodate that. So I just wanted to comment on that. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Yes, I think, I hope that this institute is going to allow us to distill what makes all of the different contexts that will be represented in this institute be able to talk about the specificities of place and power relations, and to think about how power relations are really, really central to shaping who suffers and who doesn't, and the inequities that make certain people suffer disproportionately in very specific ways. I hope that the Institute challenges these representations and not reifies the, the, the typical narrative of Africa as a country through the lens of suffering. And so I, I think that that would be spelled out and I probably, if given a kind of place to give a lot more detail, you'd have seen that. Um, but maybe I can answer the question of how we thought through multilingualism. Um, I was introduced to a resource from a specific, from a colleague in the digital humanities. There's a working group called Global Outlook Digital Humanities, um, G-O-D-H, um, and they have a translation toolbox. So they propose a number of best practices for conference settings, workshops, and other kinds of big event spaces where the audiences are multilingual. Um, they want to make sure that as we think through these questions, this is not just about the practicalities of the enormous cost of hiring a translator or the impracticality of it, but also that multilingualism and questions of multilingualism in academic scholarship in, in settings like this and websites um, reflect complex webs of concern around economic inequality, colonial histories, and politics. We believe that translation should be a labor that is shared across a whole community of scholars. And while there are languages that many participants will have in common, um, 
And there are many that will be um, um, as broad as we hope participants will be. So the technique that this toolbox recommends is called um, whispering. And it's the community's version of live translation. Um, and that means that the, each of the seminars, the workshops, the lectures, it requires you to establish a multilingual communication plan, um, including the channels of communication that would be used, uh, the languages that are being translated, and the volunteers who will do this work. You can use tools like Twitter to um, coordinate efforts of on-site community translation of events. You can have hashtags ahead of time. Uh, for each session and the languages being translated. Um, Twitter can be used to take notes and disseminate summaries of key points of presentations. And then you can also identify a note-taking software like a Google Doc or Evernote in which volunteers can take notes during a presentation. So um, you could have several whisperers at the same document adding notes into the field, filling in gaps as the presentation progresses. And then in cases where participants are able to share their presentations in advance, they will have the option of using um, online translation software and pairing up with participants that would be able to, or willing to help edit these, edit these papers. Um, and then we will also, in situations where we have documents and PowerPoint slides ahead of time, we are um, going to employ students from the University of Dar es Salaam and our partner institutes to um, help with translation ahead of time. So the more you can share ahead of time and that participants can access, the better they will be able to address, um, to address these differences. Um, and so strongly encouraging participants to share ahead of time is really important as well. I, I just had a few uh, notes. Uh, it's great uh, from uh, learning from you. But uh, we also did similar things. Uh, we have students from Southeast Asia, from uh, Indonesia, uh, Malaysia, uh, Vietnam, Japan, Korea. So uh, when we, for example, when we had a Malaysian Film Festival, our Malaysian student helped to translate um, the subtitles and uh, put it in. So, and also in those uh, sessions, we had uh, people theater uh, and theatrical group from Indonesia and uh, Thailand and Malaysia. Uh, our student could serve as uh, interpreters. So that would, of course, save a lot of uh, uh, budget from the professional interpreters and professional interpreters may not be able to help out with professional uh, uh, issues. Uh, so uh, for artistic groups and NGOs and uh, other uh, non-English speaking uh, communities, uh, those uh, can be uh, very helpful for, from students. Yeah, right. I just respond briefly to Elizabeth. Uh, you know, we're very careful to take care of a limit in the question of language because the question of translation very quickly becomes a question of multilingualism and diversity. And what, by inserting the problem of violence and the global south in there, you know, you encounter the problem of untranslatability. And so, you know, it's that tension that we want to want to hold in uh, in play in the discussion. And more seriously, to think about the mediations that you know allow for translation and don't allow for translation in other instances. 
justice. And to, so to think those two simultaneously, not to give up on the question of multilingualism and diversity, but to think that more carefully and more deeply in relation to the problem of violence uh, that you're trying to, to record through the archive of, of atrocity. And so Elizabeth, you know, there's some work that needs to be done here. And we, what we're asking for is a thinking ahead, a setting to work on the question of translation that might begin to open up the present to other ways of thinking and to take very seriously the problematic of violence that we encounter in the two instances um, my name is Scott Kaufman. I'm the director of the Freiburg Institute for Advanced Studies in, in, in Freiburg, Germany, uh, but I'm also in charge of the Marriott Institute for Advanced Studies for the Humanities and Social Sciences, Accra, Ghana, and Dakar, Senegal. And this is uh, not a question, it's just a brief comment or rather invitation, because seeing all the projects that you are working on in the Global Humanities Institute, and also seeing the CHCI initiative in Africa, for example. I just wanted to point to the fact that the, uh, the German uh, Federal Ministry of Research has started funding a broad uh, program called the Marion Program for Supporting the Humanities and Social Sciences, collaboration between the Global North and the Global South. And they have several Marion centers been um, established over the past three years, uh, one in Guadalajara, for instance, one in Sao Paulo, uh, mine is in Accra and Dakar, and the topics that we are working on are very much the kinds of topics that you all want to cover. I mean, just at my institute, for instance, in Accra, the topic, overall topic is sustainable governance, but we have major research pillars like um, sustainable democracy, um, uh, con conflicts, uh, crisis solving um, um, conflicts, um, and we also have sustainable um, transition in ecological, from an ecological point of view. Um, we also have a big research line on um, the whole problem of restitution of looted um, objects, and things like that. So I just wanted to point you to the fact that I think there will be um, rich possibilities for collaboration with these centers because this is a 12-year program. So there's quite some substantial funding and long-term funding behind this. And just from my point of view, from the point of view of the uh, institute that is located on the campus of the University of Ghana, um, especially with our topic of sustainable governance, I would like to see a stronger uh, position of the humanities because there's a lot of social sciences that you can immediately think of. Uh, but especially for the environmental humanities, or also for health humanities, I see a lot of potential. And if anyone here in this room would also be interested in sort of collaborating with this center or with the other centers uh, belonging to the Marian family, I can only, um, only invite you on most more. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, yes, now back. You've already got your mic. Yeah. Uh, so, um, Nels Pearson from the uh, Humanities Institute at Fairfield University. And thanks very much. These are all excellent, wonderful interventions. I just had a simple question about the logistics of participation. Um, when you apply for these, are all the participants already determined? Uh, or is it that just the member institutions are determined and then it opens up for other participants later, particularly thinking about the ones coming up in 2020, you know, about um, those kinds of questions? You know, in particular, if uh, those of us who have scholars at our institutions or members of CHCI who might be interested in participating, are they able to? Uh, uh, in the beginning, when we presented a proposal, uh, we worked with our partner institutes. So we, we communicate, we wrote up, 
uh, the, the draft and we revised, uh, there are several stages. Uh, but uh, we still will be opening up for call for partners, call for projects. So we are working on this, for example, if it's our case, that we will be ready to announce our call for participants uh, maybe uh, in July. Yeah, right, the end, after the end of uh, June. So we will be uh, starting. So we, of course, uh, look forward to other members uh, from CCI to apply and participate uh, so that more uh, impact, more uh, stimulation can come uh, in addition to our own group. Yeah. Um, we, we have the same format where there, we were required to identify in advance three to four to five individuals from each of the, in our case, four partner institutions. Likely the PIs in these institutions, the directors of the Humanities Center or the College of Humanities, they will, they may participate, they may not. They may be the figurehead of the project, but they will not be the active people on the ground doing the work and participating. So likely there'll be three to four scholars from each of the four centers. Then I think we have funding for 15 scholars. Um, it will, we'll do the best we can to stretch that money as far as we can, and then we will open it up beyond that. Um, we realize we can't fund everyone who would like to attend. Our goal is to be as inclusive as possible, and in our case, we are very eager to um, focus on early career scholars and in our institute's case, scholars of African descent or African American descent. Okay, uh, Phil Barish, questions? And then down here. This is related to the previous question. My name is Phil Parrish. I'm uh, part of the Humanities Institute at the University of Texas in Austin. It's a question about pre-planning, -pre -pre which is, you mentioned, and I've seen the call, that you had three or four partner institutes to begin with. How did you locate those informal networking at, at this meeting and others? Um, did you put out any kind of call seeking partner institutes at, for the very, very first uh, letter of interest before you submitted anything? From our experience, uh, we, uh, uh, we had our previous uh, activities, uh, and then we locate and we know this uh, scholars, for example, uh, Sudara from Thailand, and uh, Brad Nelson from uh, Western Sydney, and uh, other scholars from University of Malaysia, uh, Malaysia uh, in different locations, and we notice that they, they are good. Uh, or they, they share our agenda, they share our concern, and we invited them already in the past year. So when this occasion, this opportunity came up, so I wrote to them and see whether they are willing to participate as a partner institute, and they, they just responded favorably. So uh, so this is built on our previous uh, acquaintance uh, through academic work. Of course, we, we seek uh, some other partner institute, for example, in Vienna, uh, we need someone because uh, uh, there are so much traffic uh, uh, flow of labor from uh, Vienna to Taiwan to, 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 to Korea and also from Thailand, 
uh, to uh, Philippines, to Vietnam, Vietnam to Thailand and uh, Malaysia and so on. So, so, so then some people may strategically uh, locate and search. We did some search research and find those uh, institutes and then we go to them and visit them through our uh, pre-planning uh, meeting uh, in Vietnam. And they responded actively. So the, one of the partner institutes uh, is here, uh, uh, Vietnam National University. Uh, so that, that's how we get together. Yeah. But uh, maybe you have other uh, tools. Well, I mean, in our case, uh, Pablo Erzun had presented a uh, paper at the Argentina Buenos Aires meeting, and I think that was the moment of cohering a number of interested parties at that, uh, both in Buenos Aires and then at subsequent CHCI meetings. So there was something about these annual meetings and the intermittent CHCI meetings uh, in different regions that brought, brought us together. But I think there was a shared concern in some of those discussions about a question of humanism that had run aground with the failure of nationalist struggles in many of the uh, countries in Africa and Latin America. And a deep concern that these were becoming sites of research around, you know, mere questions of development, or let me put phrase that differently, you know, questions of development rather than histories, long histories of struggles with questions that now have reappeared in the West. Uh, questions of democracy that are related to the re-emergence of forms of fascism that had been, you know, that we thought had been bypassed. So, in some sense, when we were in discussions with colleagues in Chile, we began realizing that there was something here in all the ways we had spoken about, you know, violence and traumatic histories that might be, you know, put into a different constellation. So that was the beginning of the of the proposal uh, that we submitted to uh, CHCI. Yeah, I mean, it is our hope that uh, this meeting will serve as a as a useful uh, context for making connections. I will also say that historically. Um, we have actually, at the pre-proposal stage, we have um, directed certain uh, uh, agents who have proposed to join with others who proposed. So we, I think Irvine was a case in point in the translation um, project. So just to say that if you're interested in submitting a pre-proposal and let's say you have one partner but, but and you have an aspirationally, you'd like to find a partner in another region, um, it's, it's worth saying, you know, to be determined, and it's possible that the Mellon Committee of the CHCI would have some, um, would be able to provide some assistance there. I mean, you can't promise that. Also, do we have any sort of, um, is there a lunch table for people interested in GHIs here? And when is that? Is that is tomorrow at lunch, is that correct? Tomorrow at lunch, there'll be a, a table. So, or six tables, as not part of the three. Well, I'll say to Amanda. Tomorrow. Just wait, Sarah. This is Sarah Geyer, President of CHCI. Uh, um, so there will, many of these collaborations happen informally, right? And, and you meet someone, and someone asks a question, and you know, one thing leads to the next. And, and so we will make available, um, there'll be lunch tables. Those of you who have been to the meeting before have seen that we often have thematic uh, or networking tables. And we'll have as many as, as needed So um, is, is the, the goal. So um, someone should confirm that, I don't know, Bill or Guillaume, is it in fact tomorrow that we're doing? Tomorrow, 
1 p.m. tomorrow. 1, 1 p.m. tomorrow at lunch. So um, if you're interested, look look for the table that has the flag or the tent that says DHS. Great. Thanks so much. Okay, we had a question here. A woman in the white. No? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, we got a mic coming. Hi, Jennifer Gunn at the University of Minnesota Institute for Advanced Study. Um, my question is a little bit like Phil's, but on the other end. I noticed that many of the projects have planned a sort of continuation of the network and consortium, or creating a database of, of organizations and entities. And so I'm, I'm curious about how you are thinking about sustaining that, um, I know that part of the initiative was also to think about how to expand CHCI and, and CHCI um, members, member institutions, etc. But how, how are you thinking about that sustaining and how are you thinking about the continued incorporation of community partners and, and non-academic um, partners in this enterprise? It was uh, discussed in our pre-planning, uh, uh, institute planning meeting, uh, several institute, partner institute uh, volunteers said that we should continue after 2020. And uh, someone said they can apply for, uh, from Europe, and some said from Thailand, or through Toyota Foundation. And so several proposals came in. So uh, so we will proceed. That, the, the idea with the consortium is that uh, each institute, they could uh, or they should be responsible for some budget uh, application and they bring this in and we work together and the whole project can serve for their uh, proposal. Yeah, so that, that would, yeah, that's how I preliminary, I, I can envision it and I think that would be possible. And of course, concerning the GHI, uh, budget, the Veteran Foundation budget, of course, is not necessarily enough. So locally, we are also applying for uh, additional budget uh, through local uh, institute, like uh, government and other and other resources, foundation, and so on, so that we, we could uh, imagine a, a little bit uh, extended uh, size of the participants, so that uh, more people can benefit from. This event. Yeah. Um, a couple of things. We are um, designing a free online open syllabus. Um, all of the readings from our GHI and some of our findings will be available to the public and people who couldn't attend the GHI, people who applied and um, didn't get, get further than that. That's one of the kind of impacts that will be long lasting. Um, in terms of funding, um, we have we are applying for funding from PESPE, um, which is based in Brazil and um, Sao Paulo, to bring some more findings to uh, Brazil when we're over there for our follow-up meetings. So again, we're bringing a small bit of our findings in Croatia to um, early career researchers that couldn't attend, and um, so we're trying to kind of develop this this network and we're also looking into further avenues of funding and um, I mentioned that we're having a kind of an informal lunch after this in, in the hub so if you're interested you're more than welcome to join. Okay, um, are there any other questions? I just have one 
I'll ask one last question. We just have a few minutes, but um, and it, it's a little bit um, a follow-up to the comment made about the Marion Centers. But um, I'm very curious to know, or I'm, I'm curious, it's curious to know the kind of prominence of a certain collaboration between the social sciences and the humanities, particularly, I would say, in uh, the Migration Project and um, Catherine's Project. Um, I'm also, uh, it's also interesting to note a very strong um, collaboration with the arts, I would say particularly in the translation project and the crisis of democracy. And so I just, if you have any, if, you, if there are any um, thoughts you want to share about how, how important that has been to your project or, you know, where you see, what you see as the conditions for that type of collaboration um, and if that has things to do with the regional fo foci of the projects, of those particular um, <coughs> partnerships. Any final thoughts on that? Thank you. Thank you. All right, uh, two, just two points. One, the first thing is that uh, we, our center itself is an interdisciplinary program. So we have uh, uh, social sciences, we have comparative literature person, we have art history, we have uh, political philosophy with philosophers. So we actually acknowledge the fact that the humanities should be challenged or should expose ourselves to the challenges from the living world, the society, and from the disciplinary training from different fields. But that is that, uh, to say that we actually are reclaiming so there's different disciplines into this uh, terrain of human sciences. Uh, so history, anthropology, or philosophy, art, literature, and law, they should come together and think the questions that they are posing to us. We need to, our so-called knowledge production should respond to the issues that we are concerned with. But the second point, uh, this network concerning the sustainability. We are not only, uh, through our networking, we are not only uh, thinking of this researcher, so we are actually also building up uh, collaboration between university and university. So MOU, uh, in terms of uh, maybe co-supervision or exchange program or co-teaching or even dual degree that has been brought up by some institute would all be impossible, uh, all, be, all be possible. So through common research and then uh, uh, the student could also benefit. They can revisit or they can spend maybe one year or one semester at a different institute uh, and explore or even either their field trip or their uh, different uh, thinking or training to different locations. So those are the network that I think are very uh, to me, it's very enriching, and, and also our, I will be willing to do that for our students <laughs> and other students too. <laughs> yeah. so. um, I think we've approached this dilemma and this what could be a tremendous resource between collaborations between humanities and social science by thinking really critically about program development and making sure that the themes and questions and activities that will take place over the course of the institute really do have humanistic concerns at their core. Um, but, but being open to having scholars that extend beyond kind of core humanities disciplines, I think will be a real asset coming to see that we are approaching these questions and 
the same questions perhaps with different methodologies and different theoretical lenses and different regional and local ways of thinking and knowing are, are going to be the, the product that we are really excited about. Um, our particular theme, um, democracy, has been left to um, governments and people in power outside of the humanities and with very little regard to the humanities. So what we're interested in is what the humanities can open on this subject. So I think that's really exciting. And just um, a note about arts, um, I think that plays into um, different backgrounds and different languages and translation. The arts can often open that and speak a language by itself, but it, it's a lot more uh, kind of open, yeah. yeah. I mean, we took our cue from Ngugi Wajiongo, who is one of our keynote speakers, who's at the heart of a discussion on translation uh, in post-colonial Africa. And in that sense, thought very carefully about what art education and public institutions might offer us in rethinking the parameters of translation. So it's very crucial for us to have a very serious engagement with the artists if we're thinking about a future for arts education and public institutions to mediate the problematic of violence. Wonderful. So I just want to invite all of you, if you have any questions about the GHIs, to um, direct them to me or any other member of the CHCI advisory board. Uh, we'd be happy to, to talk with you. And I just want to thank these fantastic panelists for sharing their projects with us today. Thank you.